listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're talking about um, navigating dangerous territory. And I'm really talking and dealing with um, how to protect yourself from uh, not only sinful thoughts, but people are harassed in their minds. People are harassed in their minds. And so a lot of times people are dealing with things that are internal. And um, they're dealing with things that are, uh, they haven't even happened to them uh, in life. It's just that many times you talk about people losing their sleep, losing their rest, losing their peace, losing their joy, and it's happening to them here. Uh, and, and I want to start by this thought, if you have your Bible, to go to 1 Thessalonians. Because before we can really talk about this, um, we have to understand how God created us. And this is going to help you today. Uh, safeguarding your mind. Safeguarding your mind. See, there's already people in the comments. They're saying, this, this is happening to me right now. And so we need to deal with it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul is giving his final instructions and his blessing to the Thessalonian church. But I want you to see this with me. And I'll start with verse uh, 16. And Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now look at this, verse 23, very important. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So notice Paul's breakdown here. He said, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then he describes what completely is. It is your spirit and your soul and your body. So the complete part of you is made up of three elements, right? If you are complete, three elements, your spirit man, which is who you really are, your soul, which is defined as your mind your will, and your emotions, and then finally, your body, which is the the physical body you see in the mirror. So you are a three-part being. You truly are. A lot of times, if you've been in church and heard this taught, you may have heard it said this way. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. So actually, That'd be a good thing to put in the comments, put in your notes. I, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. So people think, you know, you can use the word spirit and soul interchangeably. 
but they're not the same word. Even in the original language, they're not the same. It's the difference between suke and pneuma. They are two different words. They are two different things. Your spirit is not your soul, and your soul is not your spirit. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. But your spirit, man, is the eternal you. And so understanding that you are a three-part being is foundational. It's the baseline before you can understand uh, how to deal with these things. Because what if you thought you just were a body and a soul? Like you just thought your soul is the same as your spirit and you, and you separate that in the way of I'm a two-part being. No, you'll miss out because there are things, it, it will be very hard for you to understand if my soul has been renewed, made right with God at salvation, how come I've got so many things that seem wrong with it? See, this is where people miss it. You know, you talk about well, I'm a body and a soul. But if, if the soul is the same as the spirit, then people start to wonder, well, if I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, if I've been renewed, if I'm, if I'm made uh, into a new person, how come I got so, so many things going wrong with, this, with my soul? It's because your soul is not your spirit. Your spirit is what has been made right with Christ and with God. It's your spirit that is a new creation. But... Your, and here's the best way to look at it that'll help you for the rest of your life. Imagine if you're looking at these three beings, right? Your, your spirit man is here, your soul is here, your body is here. And so um, when I look at them, just use these three words to help you understand. Always, sometimes, never. Those are the three, three words you need to remember. Always, sometimes, never. Never. Spirit, soul, body. Always, sometimes, never. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. When it comes to pleasing God, your spirit man, once you're a Christian, your spirit man will always please God. Your spirit man is renewed. He's made right with God. He always wants to please God. Your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the sometimes. And it's dependent upon you. That's the sometimes. Sometimes your mind will be right. If you do what? If you renew your mind. If you renew your mind. But the never is in regards to your body, your flesh. Your body will never want to please God. Your body's carnal. Your body wants what it wants. Your body will never want to please God. There's scripture for that, by the way. That's Galatians chapter five and verse 17. The spirit is constantly at war with the flesh. Always. There will never be a time before Jesus returns or before you die, actually before Jesus returns because your, your body goes into the ground if you die, And then Jesus raises you up on the last day and renews your body and gives you a a glorified body. But until that happens, this body will always want to do what it wants to do, never what the Lord wants it to do. And so the body has to be subdued. The body has to be controlled. Paul said that. He said, I put my flesh under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I will not become disqualified. And so Paul knew it. My body will never want to please the Lord. It's carnal. Now, my spirit will always want to please the Lord. So there's a tug, right? There's this 
huge tug of war going on between your spirit wanting to please God and your flesh not wanting to please God. And who's stuck in the middle? Your mind. Your mind is stuck in the middle. And so whether or not, now get this in your heart today because this will change your life. Whether or not you renew your mind will determine whether or not you please God. Because if the mind is stuck in the middle and there's two forces pulling on either side of it, then if you don't renew that mind, so you say, well, what does it mean to renew the mind? To renew the mind puts it on the side of the spirit man who wants to please God. By the renewing of your mind, watch this now, it allows you to be transformed so that you won't conform. Get that. Get that in your spirit. It, it allows you to be transformed so that you will not conform to the spirit of this world. And let's read that real quick together. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. So the fact that he's warning them about it means that it's possible for a Christian to be conformed to this world. If it wasn't possible, Paul would have never warned the church about it. He wouldn't have even mentioned it. But it is possible for a Christian to be conformed to this world and its system. He said, but instead, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we want to do what the will of God is, not what the will of our flesh is. But in order to do the will of God, Paul said, you've got to renew your mind so that you can transform into the image of God, not conform to the image of this world. So you see that? That individual, that that individual part of you that's in the middle, the mind, the soul, is being pulled at from both sides by spirit and flesh. Hallelujah. And you've got to learn that this mind cannot just be let go to do whatever it wants to do. I must, by the spirit and by the word of God, I must renew this mind and so that it will side with my spirit man and then it's two on one. It's two against one. It's my spirit and my soul against my flesh. That's right. As Brother Glenn said, the carnal mind is enmity with God, which is you're, you become an enemy or you're fighting against God. And so it's very important for us to understand this so vital now, the mind, navigating dangerous territory, because this mind right here can change everything about your life. Everything. Let me tell you, <clears throat> people think, oh, the spirit man is so, is the most powerful. But the thing is, if the spirit man were the most powerful part of you, there would never be any apostasy. You say, what's apostasy? That's when people used to be a part of the faith and they leave the faith. They used to be a Christian and they leave Christianity. If the spirit man was the most powerful part of you, it would overrule all the other parts, then there would never be any apostasy. No one would ever leave the faith. 
which the Bible says people will leave the faith. People will grow cold and people will leave the faith in the last days. Well, if the spirit man was the most powerful part of you, then there'd be no need to worry about your mind. But see, what causes people to go down that route? They don't renew their minds. And then as a, as a result, what happens? Then they, their mind begins to side with their carnal nature on the flesh side. And they do what the flesh wants to do. And they do what the flesh wants to do. And they do what the flesh wants to do. And though the spirit doesn't want that, he can't stop it. Because the mind is now siding with the flesh. And now... They're fighting against the spirit, making it do things it doesn't want to do. It's now a slave to the other two. And that's what happens. That's exactly what, what goes on, and that's how apostasy even takes place. It's not that you, your spirit just changes back to sinner, and it's not that Jesus leaves you. It doesn't happen like that. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the, of the world, of the age. So Jesus isn't leaving you. God's not leaving you. And your spirit man doesn't just flip back to, to sinner. It's that the mind is not renewed. And so it does, it continues on a carnal path and sides with the carnal flesh. And then that's what you produce. The fruit of your life is produced there. So let's deal with that. Now, we go to Hebrews chapter 12. And as we're navigating what we're calling dangerous territory look at hebrews 12 actually i'm sorry hebrews 4 12 is what i meant to say the bible says i'll start with verse 11 we'll read hebrews 4 verses 11 through 13 right let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning, look at this, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so I want you to, I want you to see this now. It is the word of God that is living and active and sharp. And look what it does. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. You see that? It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. And so what are we looking at? We're looking at a, a force that God gave us that allows us to pierce and divide between what is soul and spirit and also what we can use to renew our minds. So making sure that you don't fail, this word right here, this word of God that's been given us is an element that will keep, they'll keep our minds renewed and washed clean. Many people don't realize that the word of God is a cleansing agent. Did you know that? The word of God is a cleansing agent. We talk about renewing the mind. 
It cleans the mind. It cleans the mind. I'm now in Ephesians chapter 5. The word of God cleans your mind. I'm going to start reading with um, Hebrews 5.25. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Listen, having cleansed her, how did God cleanse the church? By what? The washing of water by the word. Glory to God. By the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The word of God is a cleansing agent. It's the water of the word. There's a washing that goes on as you begin to fill your spirit man and your soul with God's word. It cleans the mind. It cleanses you. It renews your mind. Hallelujah. That's so powerful, man. And uh, I'll show you this in practicality. We dealt with last week, if you missed any of it, we dealt with last week spiritual warfare for a couple of those days. Spiritual warfare uh, and how how to engage in spiritual warfare in the true way, not the crazy way, the true way. We're not looking for people to jump around with a a spandex outfit and a flag undoing what the devil's done. We're talking about the real way. Hey, Amy, the real way. So how did Jesus do it? Right? Because we, we read in the book of James that if we'll resist the devil, then what's he required to do? Flee from us, to run in terror from us. And so we know that if we resist the devil, he has to flee. Well, Jesus resisted him and he had to flee. So how did Jesus do it? Well, we're in Luke 4. And in Luke 4, look what happened. Jesus was being tempted. Where? This is where you get tempted, right here. This is where you get tempted every time, right here in the mind. Jesus' mind was being tempted by the devil. The devil was showing him things, right? The devil was showing him things. It's interesting too, though, that uh, when you look at the three temptations that the devil gave Jesus, it's really amazing how each one of the three dealt with Jesus' three-part beings. Now, the temptation's always in the mind, but look at the three areas where Jesus got tempted. This, if, if you've never seen this before, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. In fact, I put it in my book on fasting, a, a Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. I had never seen it before in this way, and the Lord began to show me that when Satan tempted Jesus, the three temptations dealt with his three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Look where the devil started with his body. What had Jesus been doing? Fasting. Fasting. What's the first thing the devil tries to get him to do? Eat. Dealing with his body. Your body's hungry. Come on. Break your fast. Come on and eat. Look, he said, if you're the the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, why was that a temptation? 
Because Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. See, and the Bible's, Bible even says that. Luke 4, 2. 40 days being tempted of the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. <laughs> he was hungry. And the devil said to him, well, if you're the son of God, command this stone to be made bread. Tempted him in his mind to do something for his flesh, for his body. But what did Jesus do? He resisted the devil by speaking the word of God back to the devil. Speaking the word of God back to the devil. So notice this. Jesus' mind was already renewed because he was already filled up with the word of God. You know when you're in rough shape? When the temptation comes at you and you've got no word in your spirit to speak back to that temptation. That's when you know you're in rough shape. That's why it's important to fill yourself with the word of God. Now you might know and notice that there's a certain area of your life where you're always tempted. Fill yourself up with the word of God regarding that area of your life. Maybe you're somebody that's always in fear. You're always battling fear, always battling anxiety, always anxious. Fear just overtakes you all the time. And you're tempted to just live in fear all the time. Fill your spirit, man, with the word of God regarding not only uh, what the Bible says about fear, but what the Bible says about peace. And rather than be, be fearful, you'll be peaceful. Begin to thank God. Thank you, Lord. I have a peace that passes all understanding. I thank you, Lord. You said you'll never leave me alone. And then you start quoting those verses right back at the devil that's trying to tempt you with fear, with panic, with depression, whatever it might be. And look what Jesus did. He spoke at it. He spoke at it. It's funny to me, the, go, the devil goes down and starts to um, tempt now uh, his, his, his mind, right? His mind. Oh, look at this. Look at the kingdoms of the world. Imagine how great you could be. You could rule the whole world. Coming against his mind now. Coming against his mind. Oh, I could be the... I could be the ruler of the whole world. I could have all the kingdoms of the world under me. All that authority and their glory would be given to me. If you don't think that was a temptation, it was. Jesus was being tempted. He was a man just like us. Though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And he's getting all this. He's getting an offer. You know why the devil could do that? Because the devil had the authority to give that. Christ had not yet taken it back. And Adam had surrendered it to Satan. Bible calls him the God of this world. It's a true temptation. And Jesus is like, man, I could be the, the, I could have their glory. I could be their, have their authority over them. I could be the ruler of all these kingdoms. I could be, and his mind's getting puffed up. That's what the devil wants to, to start to attack his soul. And then he rebukes it with the word of God. No, it's written, worship the Lord, your God and him only will you serve. Boom. Shuts it down immediately. So he, he overcame the flesh test, overcame the soul test. Now look at this, the spirit test, the spirit test. And the devil starts quoting Psalm 91 to Jesus. Oh, if you're truly the son of God. Now, what is he trying to do? Attack his spirit. But what's his spirit? To make him doubt that he's the Messiah, the son of God. Oh, if you're truly, if it's truly you. If you're truly the son of God, throw yourself down from here. It's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. He said, no, you'll not put your Lord. The, the Bible says, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. 
So he overcame every area by what? Having his mind renewed and having something to speak back at the devil who was tempting him. Who was tempting him. And so we got to get this in our spirits then, that our minds truly are that area where we win or lose. You win or lose in the mind before you ever do it in the flesh, before it ever, before anybody ever leaves the faith, they've lost in their mind. They didn't overcome in their mind like they're supposed to, right? And so the mind's got to be the thing that you're constantly guarding, constantly guarding. And so here we are. What are some of these uh, commands that we have regarding our minds? Well, one thing that we need to understand, I'll have you flip over with me to the book of uh, Colossians. And let's look at what Paul wrote to the, to the Colossians. Colossians chapter three, get this now, this is so vital because you, in fact, I want you to write in the comments, I've got control over my mind. I've got control over my mind. I've got total control over my mind. The devil doesn't control your mind. You have authority and control over your mind. So get this now, Colossians chapter 3. I'll start with verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, which you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now here's a command. You ready for this? Verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's the command of Paul, set your minds on things above. When I used to be a youth pastor, I used to teach my young people, there are two ways to set your mind. One of these explanations is going to be a little outdated now because of technology, but some of you, you, most of you are old enough to understand the the terminology anyway, but we're talking, you know. 20 years ago. But the two ways to set your mind, number one, you set your mind like a thermostat. That's the first way you set your mind. And the second way you set your mind is like a DVR. We don't really use DVR anymore because everything's it's streaming. But some of you are old enough to remember TiVo and DVRs and how you could actually set your, set your cable box to record a show even though you weren't watching it. So what do I mean by those two things? That you have to set your mind like a thermostat, set your mind like a DVR. Um, A thermostat, you know, you look around and you go check it. You say, man, this room is hot. This room is sitting here at 74 degrees. And Tiff, if you are cold, you can can turn the air up a little bit because, you know, I feel great today. But if it's 74 degrees, you're like, man, it's hot. It's too hot in this room. 75 degrees, too hot in this room. So what do you do? You don't, you look at the thermostat and you set that to what you want it to be. You don't set it to what it already is. You set it to what you want it to be. Say, I want to take this down to 71 degrees, whatever, 72 degrees. You set it to what you want it to be. And then your surroundings 
conform to what you've set on the thermostat. You're taking charge of the whole environment of your life by setting your mind like a thermostat. You set it here first and everything else has to conform. You set it there first, make everything else conform. And then on the other side, you set your mind like a DVR. I am recording the thoughts of God. I am recording the thoughts of God. What what do I mean by that? This word, as I just explained earlier, is the thing that will be your fuel to combat attacks of the mind. So I'm setting my mind on things. This is something that is above. This is the word of God. It's above all. In fact, the Bible teaches it's above anything. It's above all. I'm setting my mind to record the thoughts of God like a DVR so that when there is an attack, when there is a temptation, boom, I got fuel and ammunition to drive back the thing that supposedly is going to take me out and it will not take me out. Hallelujah. And so Paul gives us in Philippians chapter four, Paul gives us a list that we can go by so that we know how to properly set our mind. Just in case anybody thought it was too ambiguous, too vague, Paul said, let me write a list for you so that you can know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, in Philippians chapter four, let's start reading in verse number eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So right there, that gave you parameters. That, that gave you parameters for your thought life right there. The things that I think about need to be true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. With If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So there you have now parameters set out by Paul so that you can actually guard your thought life. Because every person say, well, should I, I don't know, is, is this wrong, is that wrong? You never have to ask yourself, is this wrong, is that wrong? Should I do this, should I do that? He gives you a list to set those parameters so that you can understand what should be allowed in your thought life and what should not be allowed. And you know, there's people that they, they, they struggle because they think, well, you know, I'm a sinner because I have these thoughts. Well, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have thoughts hit you anymore. You'll never come to a place in life, I don't care how long you've been saved, where you don't have thoughts from the enemy that try to hit your life. Never. So just understand it right right off the bat. You'll always have thoughts come against you. Always. It doesn't mean you have to fall to those thoughts, but they will still come and hit, try to hit you. The enemy will send lies to try to discourage you, to try to derail you, to try to get you to quit to try to get you in fear, to try to get you in depression. He will send thoughts. This is his method. It's his method. And so don't, don't ever think, well, man, there's something wrong with me because I got these thoughts and, and I don't understand these thoughts. The enemy's trying hard to attack you with these thoughts. 
He wants to destroy you and deceive you. It's how you deal with the thoughts. Jesus was right there as the devil was talking to Jesus. Jesus was dealing with thoughts. Jesus was, if he wasn't, he wouldn't have been tempted. Jesus was dealing with thoughts. And Jesus overcame every temptation that we would be faced with, which means he had to deal with all the thoughts and still overcome. And so don't feel like you're some kind of a failure because you've dealt with thoughts. In fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to deal with it because this is going to help you immensely. It's going to help you immensely. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we find uh, Paul talking about this stuff. Don't feel like a failure because you've dealt with thoughts. Every Christian and Jesus himself dealt with thoughts. And though thoughts may come, thoughts do not have to control your life. Thoughts do not have to control your life. Paul here, as he's defending his ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, let me start reading with verse 3, kind of in the middle of his thought here, but let me, let me just jump there for time's sake. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now here's verse five. You got to get this in your spirit right here. Verse five is important. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So get this in your spirit now. We have the ability, we have the ability to destroy arguments. Woo! And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and the ability to take every thought captive and make it obey Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Our thoughts going to come. Yes, they will come. Thoughts are going to come, but you are empowered to take those thoughts and make them prisoners. Think about that. Taking them captive, making them captives and make them obey Jesus Christ. Take every thought captive. Which kinds of thoughts? Those that are uh, arguments, those that are exalting themselves above, above the knowledge of God, take them captive. Okay. What about what else? The list Paul gave us. If it's not lovely, if it's not pure, if it's not just, if it's not holy, if there's not any praise or virtue, take it captive. Take it captive. I heard it said this way, and I've preached it this way. <clears throat> I've, I've preached it this way. Um, just because 
You because know, I used to have young people come to me all the time. They say, you know, Pastor Ted, you know, I can't control the thoughts that pop into my mind. Uh, and, and I agree. That's true. You can't control every thought that pops into your mind. You can't just control whether or not it comes. The devil will send thoughts to try to try to hit you. And I used to tell them this and preach this from this passage. Though you can't control every thought that pops into your mind, you can control whether or not you meditate on it. Though you can't control if it pops in, you can control if you meditate on it. Give you an example. You'd be like, well, Pastor Ted, I, you know, I can't control if somebody stops by my house. You know, I'm not in control of other people. If somebody came over to my house, they're just driving around, they stop by, pull in the driveway, come knock on my door. I can't control whether or not they pop by. Maybe not. But you don't have to open the door and have them in to stay all day and stay for lunch and then stay for dinner. And because they don't want to leave, let them sleep over. See what I mean? You may not have control over whether they stop by, but you have control over whether or not you entertain them. And that's key for every Christian. Thoughts will try to pop by. (laughs) You don't open your door and let the thoughts stay through lunch, through all the afternoon, through dinner, let them spend the night with you. You don't allow or entertain thoughts in that way. You take them captive. You lock the door. You push them out. You don't meditate on them. You push them out. You renew your mind by the word of God. You can even begin to pray and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray and pray in the Holy Ghost until those thoughts are pushed out of your spirit, man, out of your mind. I'll give you a a scripture for that as well, because Jesus knew this, man. He knew how the power of prayer would keep you from falling into temptation, which means that it allows your mind to gain control. Prayer does. Prayer in your known language, prayer in the spirit. Look. Uh, Jesus is in Gethsemane praying before his crucifixion. Uh, and what's he, what's he dealing with? The temptation about whether or not he's want to be, who wants to be crucified? And Jesus is like, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's a prayer of consecration right there. And so uh, his disciples are sleeping while he's praying. He finally wakes them up. And look at this. Verse 41, he said, watch and pray. This is Matthew 26, 41. Very powerful scripture. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's what Jesus is teaching now. His flesh did not want to go to the cross. His flesh did not want to suffer persecution and uh, all of these different things. But notice, he said, Lord, I know it's your will. It's your will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. It's your will, Lord, and I submit myself to your will. But what was the temptation? The temptation was to not go through with the crucifixion process. My body doesn't want it. I don't want nails in my hands. I don't want crown of thorns on my head. I don't want whip, be whipped on the back, beaten beyond recognition. I don't want to uh, pierced by a spear in my side or a sword. I don't want any of that. Whose flesh does? Nobody's. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. So what did he do? Through prayer, through Jesus praying, he was able to push that temptation, those thoughts out of himself 
that you know, I'm, I'm gonna do something else rather than this. I'm not gonna give my perfect life for these robbers, thieves, and liars. Not my will, it sure will be done. And so Jesus overcame temptation even to the cross through what? Prayer. And he told his disciples the same. He said, you better watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is very weak. The flesh is very weak. So prayer, I want you to put it this way in the comments, put it in the chat. Prayer plus word. Prayer plus word. Those two things need to be in place as you're navigating this dangerous territory. Prayer plus word. If you don't determine or, or develop some sort of daily prayer plus word routine, you're always going to be suffering with uh, battles in the mind. Always. Because you'll have no recourse to get these things out of your mind. None. Because these are the ways that Jesus and the apostles and the early church combated the temptations and the thoughts and the plans of the devil. That's right. As Glenn's quoting from Galatians chapter 5, if you'll walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll not. And part of walking in the spirit is filling yourself with God's word and then walking in prayer on a daily basis. So let me, let me deal with another aspect here that I used to deal with all the time that needs to be talked about. Um, you have to, you have to guard with everything you can guard yourself from the wrong relationships. Meaning there's people that have friends that all they do is insert things into their lives that, uh, cause you to continually see and hear the wrong things that, you know, there's people that don't even think anything wrong with, well, you know, I know they're not a Christian, but we've been friends for such a long time. I know they don't serve the Lord, but you know, we've been friends since like middle school and you know, we're like 38, 40 now we've been friends for so long. We do everything together you know, they don't really go to church at all. They're not a Christian. You know, I'm just kind of believing God will work on them. And what happens is you yoke yourself up together with a person just because you've known them for a long time. And they have zero desire to serve the Lord. Zero desire to serve the Lord. They have zero desire to obey the commands of God or to walk according to the spirit because they're dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says they're dead. And so you don't guard yourself from those relationships and all of a sudden they're inserting things into your life that are causing you to be in constant uh, turmoil. Because the, the, the crap that they're in is starting to get thrown on you because you're hanging with somebody in a pig pen. That's what's happening. Yeniel says, what if it's your own mother? You continue to honor your mother, but there are certain things, Yeniel, where you have to draw a line. That's why I recommended to everybody the book by Dr. Henry Cloud, Boundaries. Because though you have to honor your father and mother, whether they're saved or not saved, it doesn't matter whether your mom or dad is saved or not saved. But there are boundaries that you have to set. 
even, even if somebody is a Christian, you still have to set boundaries. But especially with those that are not serving God, doesn't mean you don't love them anymore. Doesn't mean you don't honor them anymore. But I'm not spending all my time with somebody that refuses. I have people that we've dealt with that they said, I don't know what to do because my mom and my dad, they don't serve God and they're, they're, they're drinking all the time. They're partying all the time and they want the grandkids to come over and be at their house. And I have a hard time because I know what goes on in their house. I know they smoke weed. I know they drink all the time. I know they got parties going. I know they don't have they, foul language, all that stuff. And you have to honor your father and mother, but you say, you know what? You can come visit the children here at my house, but I'm not letting them come stay over there. I don't agree with how you live. And I don't want my children being around that. You say, well, that's dishonoring to the grandparents. No, it's not. It's not dishonoring to your father and mother. What you're truly doing is obeying the Lord and raising those children up in the way they should go. And when they're older, they'll not depart from it. So you say, listen, I'm setting boundaries because I love my children and you still can honor those, the father and the mother. But in all seriousness, you've got to guard the children. So see what I mean? There's people that get these things uh, mixed up and say, well, I want to honor them. Yeah, but you don't honor them by making room for all their nonsense that is, that is uh, displeasing to God. You can honor them, you can love them, you can treat them respectfully, but you don't have to get engaged or engage your children or whatever else in your family with all of the other stuff uh, that they're dealing with. And Kate says, this is such a huge issue. They'll call you holier than thou and religious if you set those boundaries. So be it. So be it. There comes a time where we have to make up our minds. Am I seeking the approval of men and women? Or am I seeking the approval of God? I'll give you a, let me give you a scripture that'll help you. Cause I see a lot of you are dealing with this, this same uh, thing and I can understand it. Um, let me give you something Jesus said that'll blow your mind. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Let me show you something. Matthew 12 and verse 46. That's right, Gina. She said, this is another reason why you need a strong spirit, man, if you're going to be around someone like this. You have to. And you've got to set those boundaries. Um, Amy said, I love when they call me holy and Bible thumper. Good. And you should, Amy. I'm so proud of Amy. She's, she's spread the word so much. I used to get her testimonies and she'd send me all the, I shared with this, I shared with this person, I shared with this person. They're hearing about Jesus, hearing about Jesus. We need bold people like that. We need bold people that will not back down and don't care what people think about them. Don't care what people call them. Don't even care if family start to make fun of you, right? That's, that's, that's a good thought, Denise. You don't have to answer to your parents when you stand before God. You'll answer to God. You answer to God. So in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, get this up in your spirit. Uh, talking about family relationships, family relationships. Matthew 12, 46. And while he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother, his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, get this. Who is my mother 
And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Woo! Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus who is elevating the family of God above even natural relationships. Mm. Elevating the family of God above even natural relationships. Now he's dealing with his mother and his brothers. It's not like his cousin twice removed on his mother's side. This, this is his mom and his brothers. Who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I'll tell you who it is. And he points his finger, lifts his hand. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven, those are my real brothers. Those are my real brothers. I had a pastor say to me, who I love very much. He said, you know what? He said, um, I feel like you're my real brother. He said, I feel like you're my real brother. He said, you know, uh, my dad's passed away. He said, my other brother does not serve the Lord at all. <clears throat> he said, he's not, he's just not serving the Lord. He, he told me this. He said, I feel like you are the brother that I never had. He said, I feel like you're my true brother. Well, what is that connection relationship? That's a brothers in Christ relationship that what he's saying to me and what we talked about, he's saying, really, I have more in common with you. I talk to you more often. I have more relationship with you as a brother than I do my own flesh and blood brother because he doesn't even serve God. He doesn't have any desire to go to church, serve God, be around. So what, what is he saying? What Jesus is saying, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? That doesn't mean you cut your family off doesn't mean you dishonor them. It doesn't mean you, you, you could care less about how they, it doesn't mean any of that. You're still believing for their salvation. You're still believing that they'll be delivered. You're still believing they're coming in. You still honor them as much as you can. But you will get to the place where you understand, I'm closer to people who are with me in this Christian faith doing what God's called us to do than I am with some of these people that are, are naturally my family that don't have any desire whatsoever to please God. This is why it is so vital that we surround ourselves with relationships that are of like faith, of like faith. It affects you here. It affects you here. Hallelujah. It affects you here because the stuff, why would you want to link yourself up with people that are going in the opposite direction than you are. Why would you chain yourself to someone when you're trying to strive forward towards what God wants and they're striving the other way to get what the, uh, the spirit of this world wants? And then there's always a tension in your relationship because they're pulling one way and you're pulling the other. And that's what people do because they got wrong relationships in their life and it's causing tension. And then their mind is always messed with because they got people that that's just all they're inserting into their mind. And so you got to guard your relationships in order to guard your mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 27. Um, yeah, Kate said, I wish somebody had taught me this when I first got saved. So true. Thank you for teaching. And, and that's one of the biggest things that Paul had to deal with the church in Corinth about, right? Because they were baby Christians. They were young. He called them infants. 
And he said, listen, don't, one of the things I want to correct you on, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Remember he told them that in 2 Corinthians 6? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What, what relationship does light have with darkness? Does Christ have with the devil? Right? And he goes through all the different analogies. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't yoke yourself up. And in Proverbs 27, 17, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I should not be connected to people that are dulling my blade, dulling my blade, dulling my blade. It's like every time I come back, hitting my blade on a rock, dulling it, chipping it. It should be like when you're sharpening that knife before you're going to carve Thanksgiving dinner up. Sharp. I should leave my friends. I should leave their presence. I should leave their company sharpened, sharpened. That's why I'm very careful who I talk to about stuff and who I, who I uh, engage with. You know, and I, I, there's a lot of people around, but I only en- truly engage with a, a few people that sharpen me. I want to be sharpened, like the Bible says, and so do you. Well, the question remains, you know, is it, so are, are thoughts sinful then? Well, yeah, thoughts can be sinful. Thoughts can be sinful if you don't guard them, if you continue to meditate on them, dwell upon them. Yes, of course, thoughts can be sinful. And Jesus dealt with that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you can't allow these thoughts to take root in your heart. It's not just the actions. Some thoughts can be sinful, but that's why we take them captive. But remember this, thoughts always lead to actions. Thoughts always lead to actions. There's nothing you've done that you didn't previously think about doing. I'm not talking about instinct. I'm not talking about, you know, something happened, you just reacted. I'm talking about there's nothing you've done uh, with your free will that you've not first meditated on it, thought about it. Got hungry. What am I going to eat for dinner? What am I going to have? Well, I got to think about what am I hungry for? What do I have in the fridge? What can I make? And you thought about it and then you did it. You know what? I feel like doing this today. I'd like to have, you know what I'd like to have? I'd like to have this. I'd like to go do this today. And you went and did it. I I was watching a documentary one time about one of these famous serial killers. You know what's crazy? Is that he didn't just become a serial killer. Did you know he sat around and had meditations all the time? Used to think about what would happen. I've talked about this on the broadcast. What would happen if if I saw a hitchhiker on the road one night and picked him up? And then what would I do? Where could I take him? And then thought out where he would take them. Oh, what would I do with them? That's how I'd kill them. This is how, I, all this stuff. And then just, he, he said of his own testimony, I would think about this so often, it would take my thought life over. It was demonic. It would take my thought life over until then it finally happened that I got presented with an opportunity. Well, by the time I was presented with an opportunity to do the thing, I had already thought through a million times how I would do it. Boom. And he said, I did it. And Kelly said, then I did it to multiple people. And then I just kept on doing it. But notice, it was the fact that his own mind, of course, he wasn't a Christian, but his own mind, unguarded, his own mind, he didn't take those thoughts captive. Are there people that get angry at people? Yes. But not everybody that gets angry at people goes out and murders them. See, you got to take control of your mind. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. He empowers you to take control of your mind. And again, I go back to the Uh, the fruit of the spirit that I consider to be the most important self-control self-control 
you have the authority of the Holy Spirit to control not only this carnal flesh, but to renew this mind and make sure it's not controlling me. What about the thought process of the unpardonable sin? What about the unpardonable sin? Well, uh, Jesus taught, just to give you a, a flat, straight answer, the, I don't believe the Bible teaches anywhere that you can commit the unpardonable sin in your mind. I believe that the Bible teaches you can commit the unpardonable sin in your mind. The unpardonable sin that Jesus dealt with is uh, to a, attributing the works of God to Satan. And you've got to actually attribute them. People have to be so far gone that when they see God performing miracles, that they, when they see uh, the supernatural things that the Holy Spirit is doing, they say, oh, that's a demon. That's devils. That's the devil doing that. And there are people, religious people that go to church that are on, that, that, are, that are truly on the edge. And I pray that many of them make it to heaven. But there's denominational Christians that are cessationists, that if they see people speaking in tongues, or they see people working miracles, or they see people claiming to, you know, healings are taking place. Well, that's a demonic deception of the devil. That's the devil. That's not God. That's a demon spirit. Because God doesn't do that anymore. They are on thin, thin ice when they are attributing the works of God to the devil or to demons. And you don't, and that's, you know, when Jesus was dealing with this, you know, I, I heard one guy that taught the grace message that said, no, what Jesus was really saying, the true unpardonable sin is not yielding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is not what Jesus was teaching at all. The true unpardonable sin is, is not yielding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and then you're never forgiven. No, that is not what Jesus was teaching at all. Jesus was talking about after they had accused him. Where does he get the power to do these things? Where does he get the power to do these things? I'm going to take you to it. Go with me. Because here's the problem. And I actually used to get a lot more questions about this than I do now. We're still in Matthew chapter 12. Um, I used to get a lot more questions about this than I do now, especially when I was a youth pastor. But people worry, and there's people that that truly it does bother their mind. Because they don't want to, um, obviously they don't want to think about that. They don't want to think about the fact that I could never, now I can never be saved again. That'll, that'll mess with your mind. I know that's true. It is a red flag when people say, what Jesus really meant here when he was talking. Oh, thank you, Amy. Um, Gina said, I see people say it's the devil, tongues, laying hands, miracles. When you see that, you have to wonder, is this person dead for good? I, I'm telling you. Well, well, look at this. Look at um, Matthew chapter 12. I'll start with verse 22 and read the whole passage in context. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is, look look at what they, and they said, and they said, not they thought, and they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. He said to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No, sir. So, first of all, Jesus has to explain to them the process of demons being cast out. How could I divide my own kingdom? Do you think a a kingdom divided against itself is going to stand? If I'm destroying my own works, how will my kingdom even stand? First of all, it's a logical fallacy that I'm going around destroying my own kingdom. It's a stupid thing to even think. That's not how it works. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? So there were Jewish exorcists already doing the same work. They were casting out demons. So don't say that I'm casting out demons by the devil when you've got exorcists in the Jewish community they are casting the devil out by the Spirit of God. It's the same power. Same power. And then he says this, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks, notice, speaks, speaks, speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So it's a very serious thing. Starting to attribute the works of God to the devil. That's what Jesus is dealing with. He's not talking about your thought life. He's not about, talking about people go around thinking that they get ang- something happened in their life and they got angry with God for a while. Why did this happen? I'm angry at God. It's not what it's talking about. And notice that. He said, even, even those that are, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but except for the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. People that are attributing the works of God to the devil, to demons. Well, you know, in context, when did they start doing this? Right after he did a miraculous work, cast out a demon, and it really brought healing because the Bible says um, he w- the man was also blind and mute. So he healed, cast the demon out, healed him of blindness, healed him of muteness. So now the demon's gone, the man could speak, and the man could see. And when they saw that miracle, notice what he was doing. Miracles of healing and deliverance. Oh, that's the devil. There's people today that still say that. And it's dangerous. So it's not, this passage is not dealing with your thought life. It's not dealing with with sinful thoughts that come. It's not dealing with, it's dealing with people that are wicked. Attributing God's works to the devil himself. And so for people that have thought and it's bothered your mind, I think I've done that, I've committed the important, no, unless you're going around attributing the works of God to the devil himself. It's not about your thoughts. It's not about, I had doubts about Christianity. I had doubts about the Bible or if Jesus is really the son of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's not what it's talking about. And so this area of your thought life is so very important because I want you to, I want you to think about something before we pray. The only thing, and of course there's obviously, you know, you look at, how are we different? Think about this. How are we different from animals? How are we different from animals? Well, one thing is that we have an eternal spirit. We have an eternal spirit. Animals have a body. Animals have a soul. But animals are not eternal spirits. What else do we, do we have that's different? 
We can speak. That's, that's one area. Yes, Amy. But imagine this. We have imaginations. We have imaginations. Very important thought. We have imaginations. We have the ability to imagine things into being. What God placed into us is the ability to be like him. Imaginations. And I found this interesting. That when you study in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, we know the story of the Tower of Babel. And what do they do? They start having imaginations. These imaginations are obviously wicked. They exalt themselves above God. We're going to build a tower into heaven. And look at this. Verse 5, Genesis eleven five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of all they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Notice that we have the ability to have an imagination. We're talking about our minds. And when we don't control this imagination, see, this is why when people in the word of God were, were being commended, they were being uh, encouraged and instructed to meditate on the word of God, the possibilities of God's word. Joshua, take this book of the law. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do all that's written therein. Then will you make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Meditate on God's word. Again, Proverbs chapter four. Let me hit you with this one real quick. Meditate. Your imagination is everything. Everything. My tongue, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Notice that. Meditation. Meditation. One of the ways that you're going to renew this mind, meditating on the word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Your imagination separates you from every other being on the earth. Every other being. If you don't control the imagination, if you don't harness that imagination, it will work against you. If it's not a force for good, it will become a force for evil. If it's not a force for good, it will become a force for evil. That's powerful. Let me, let me give you uh, one last verse before we pray. Listen to this now. See, these, if these things don't become a force for good, they'll be a force for evil. Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves 
to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. Anything that's not, if it has a force, it'll either be a force for good or for evil. And you have to determine my mind is going to be a force for good. My mind is going to be a force for the kingdom of God. And you have to use it for the thing God called you to use it for. Take thoughts captive. Make them obey Christ. Renew your mind on a daily basis with prayer and with the word of God. And guard your relationships. Guard those relationships. And let that imagination be harnessed for the thing God's called you to do. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, as you do, you'll find yourself falling to less and less battles, losing less and less battles. It'll be the things that seem like crises all the time, one by one, crises will disappear. And freedom comes when you harness, harness your mind and subdue it, make it obey Christ, renew it, and let it side with your spirit, man. Father, I pray for every person watching. I pray for every person that's listening today. And I pray that you would give them a supernatural hunger to get back into this word, to pray, to renew their mind, to please you with their life. I take authority over every attack of the mind that's come against your people in Jesus' name. Lord, every wicked thought, every wicked thing that's come to deceive them, to weigh them down with depression or anxiety, whatever it might be, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, you would break that today by the power of your spirit. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Let this be the greatest month of their life they've ever seen in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We give you praise. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to encourage you at the end of this broadcast. You know what to do. Those of you that are partnering with us, those of you that are sowing seeds today, um, of course, you'll know for everybody that's sowing $1,000 this month into this ministry to help us do what we're called to do. We have three things that we want to send you. Those of you that are sowing a thousand. Number one, we want to send you the book for this month, The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner by Dr. Cho. Uh, We're going to send you Dr. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I keep giving him a doctorate every time I talk about him. I see that W, but he's not a doctor, I don't believe. I'd never let him do surgery on me. And then number three, The Net Bible with 60,000 translators notes. Uh, I love this. My new favorite uh, study Bible. I love it so much. I love the ins and outs of what it can show you behind the text. That's our gift to those that are standing with us at $1,000 this month. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer to claim your offer. And um, thank you for those, those that are sowing. Maybe this month you feel to sow $100 or $85, $500. There's people standing at every level. Do what the Lord asks you to do. Be led by the Spirit and thank you. We're preaching the gospel over the world. People are being changed, and um, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch God continue to increase this ministry. And um, hey, Maddie, Maddie's watching from home on Miracle Word Kids' YouTube channel. Love you, Maddie, and thank you guys. I appreciate it. I'll be back with you again in the morning. Now listen, for those of you that are a part of Bible Study Made Simple, I'm so excited. New content dropped today. It's Monday. So every Monday, new content's dropping for the Bible studies. Listen, if you missed out on Bible study made simple, but you would love to be a part when it drops again in the fall and registration opens back up, you can go to bible.miracleword.com 
and there's a wait list. You can sign up for the wait list and you'll be notified first when the registration uh, opens back up in the, in the fall this year. But I am so excited. We're going through all these principles of Bible study and we're getting ready to jump into our very first Bible study coming up soon. And uh, it's awesome. I'm very, very excited about it. Thank you to all of our students that are a part of it. Cannot wait, cannot wait to jump into these Bible studies. Again, West Virginia camp meeting coming up next week, Tuesday through Friday, uh, titled Breakthroughs and Turnarounds. Pastor Mira Hufton from Atlanta, uh, Pastor Tony Suarez, myself, my father, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, Bishop Rick Thomas, and others. It's going to be an awesome, awesome camp meeting. I don't know where we're going to put everybody, but um, it's going to be jam-packed. Of course, we've got the band, the team. It's going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. So it's Tuesday, April 26th through Friday, April 29th. And uh, on Tuesday night, starts at 7. And then Wednesday through Friday, we've got 1030 in the morning and 7 o'clock at night. If there's any possible way that you can get here for this meeting, let me encourage you. All the details are at MiracleWord.com. Get here if you can. Get here if you can. Gina said it's a Holy Ghost Woodstock. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) That's it. I love you guys a lot, man. Thanks for hanging with me today. Uh, I'll see you again in the morning, 1030. Have a good one. I love you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.